Jeremiah chapter 12. If you go to the center of your Bible, uh, if you've got a paper one, uh, you'll find the Psalms hanging right, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 12. Twelve, And starting in verse 1, and this is God's word. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, he will not see our latter end. If you have raced with men on foot, this is God speaking now, and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies." My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey against her all around? Go assemble all the wild beasts. Bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a life of vocational ministry, that means you you got a church job. A life of vocational ministry is full of blessings. And I need to say that on the front end. It's full of blessings. And one of those blessings is the way God can work in your marriage and I was talking to Tammy about it last night. Um, I, I've told many a, a, a guy thinking about ministry going, I, I, I might go to seminary and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I wonder if God's calling me to this work. And, and I'll always say, 
Listen, if she ain't called, you ain't called. That's a big factor. If she's dour, and if she's sour, and if she's absent and not present and really not a part of it and doesn't really, she's kind of thinks, well, that's my husband's church gig and really doesn't feel what's going on there. If she's not present at the ladies' events and just isn't, isn't immersing herself in what's happening, you ain't, the dude's not called either. And so one of the huge blessings of being in vocational ministry is the sweetness that we get to enjoy uh, in ministry together. Um, uh, I, I, I just couldn't do it without Tammy. Another huge blessing is the wealth of relationships that you get. You get all these friendships, and they're so diverse, and you're involved in these people's lives, y'all's lives, at a, at a very deep level and at times of tragedy and stuff. I mean, it's just a humongous blessing. Um, you also get to intimately and profoundly see the church work. You know interworkings and dealings that other people don't get to see, and you're convinced again and again by God that the Holy Spirit is real and working and so on. Huge blessing. Um, another huge blessing is a mind engaged deeply in holy things, a mind engaged deeply in biblical things. Um, and listen, a mind engaged deeply in biblical things is a heart that feels deeply. Uh, you don't get to feel deeply. I know you want to feel deeply. You want to feel a relationship with God. Well, you don't get one unless you have a mind that thinks deeply about the truths of God, right? So it's kind of like a relationship with Tammy. Um, I can, I can kind of have this superfluous uh, surface relationship with her, but when I know the particulars, when I, when I delve deep into who she is, then I enjoy her and I feel things more deeply. Does that make sense? So huge, Huge blessings in the ministry. I could go on and on and on and talk about how blessed the ministry is, okay? And I say all that to say this. I want to preface what I'm about to show you. Um, who recognizes this picture? What movie is that from? Platoon. Okay, so not everybody knows that movie. Uh, this is a scene where Willem Dafoe, it's at the end of the movie, and he's running from the Viet Cong. They're chasing him, and they're shooting at him, and his guys have left him, and uh, they're flying in a helicopter. They see him down there, and they see the enemy just running behind him going, blam, 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 blam. He's been shot a zillion times. And it really, in the movie, you're going, how is he still running? He's all adrenalized, and he's booking it. He's been shot a zillion times. And this is the shot where he falls on the ground, and the, the the orchestral music is swelling. It's at its big it's at this big moment, and it's so profound. And he throws his hands up in the air. It's slow motion, and he kind of does one more kind of oh, they got me kind of a acting thing, and then bam, he plops down face first in the dirt. It would be no exaggeration to say that this picture has been in my mind 487 times in relation to ministry. I, I think, Lord. You know, I'm here for a short time. I mean, life is a mist. I'm on this little planet, and I got this little work in front of me, and then uh, my life will be over, and a 100 years will pass, and Jim Umloff will be forgotten from the face of the earth. And so I think about this picture, and I think for the time being, ministry, a lot of ministry, is booking it toward the finish line, going, eh, 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 and then boom, plop, huh, they got me, and then bam in the dirt. Now, that may be, that doesn't sound, you heard, the, you heard the first part of it, right? How blessed it is and everything? But that's the other side of it. And uh, I think Dr. Young, I, I, any minister would say that. Any minister would say that. And I know you go, well, that, sound, that sounds really weird. And you probably have personal problems. That's true. I do have personal problems. But, um, but let me tell you, that's the way Jeremiah thinks about it. That's the way the weeping prophet thinks about ministry. And I'm, this, is, this is our big idea here today, in case you're wondering. 
Rejection of God's prophetic word is rejection of God himself. Jeremiah's got the prophetic word. He's shouting it out to Judah. And of course, that applies to all believers, of course. But when your your primary uh, gig is the proclamation of God's word, with that comes all kinds of really difficult things. You know, the, the preacher... The, 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 the minister of God always operates very near the high voltage. And when you shout out God's word into a non-Christian's life or a believer's life, uh, you're always near the high voltage. That's just a part of it. And so uh, you feel that very deeply. So our first point here today, confidence meets complaint. Um, let, let's talk about Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet. He's been widely referred to as the weeping prophet because he has had to repeatedly warn Judah of impending destruction uh, by God's own hand. God is going to bring destruction upon his own people by his own hand. And that is Jeremiah's message for about four decades. That's his gig, is to say that to God's people for four decades. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it's not well-received news. I mean, he is... Uh, he is very near the high voltage, and his message is very different than grace, grace, God's grace. It's not that it's not without grace, as we shall see, uh, but his, his message is different than my message. Um, I also want to give you a quick background on Jeremiah. If you, if you just flip to chapter 1, verse 1, um, chapter 1, verse 1, just, let me just read the first three verses to you. This kind of sets the whole context for, for his, his story. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, so to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, uh, son of Am, Am, Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah. And here's what I want you to see. The son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So his ministry starts, it runs over four decades, and he's saying, hey, destruction's going to come, destruction's going to come, destruction's going to come, and it does come. See, it's until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So he has the prophetic word, and he sees it unfold. No wonder he's the weeping prophet. The other thing before we leave this, this, this hunk right here is look at the first part of verse 1. You see that weird name, Anathoth? Flip back to our chapter. Um, chapter 12. Let's back it up just a few verses here. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 21. It's just right before 12 there. Chapter 11, verse 21. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth. So there you got that weird, funky city again. That's where Jeremiah's from. He said, the Lord says, hey, concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, Jeremiah, uh, and say, don't prophesy in the name of the Lord, and so on, I'm going to punish him. Uh, look, what do these people say? Look at halfway through verse 19 of that chapter, verse 11, chapter 11. Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. What are they saying, these people of Anathoth? Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. They're saying, let's kill Jeremiah and kill his message. Let's kill him to shut him up. We're tired of his proclamation of what God's going to do and what God wants and God's requirements. We're tired of it. Let's kill him and shut him up. And these are the people from his own hometown. So now you see that this prophet has a lot of baggage too. I mean, he's got a lot of personal hurt that accompanies all he does, which brings us to our point here. Confidence meets complaint. So to our chapter, look at verse 1. 
He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Now listen, if anyone's got that figured out, it's Jeremiah. Uh, He's the messenger who proclaims God's righteousness. He's the messenger who proclaims God's justice in truth. He's the messenger who uh, proclaims God's faithfulness to his word, even concerning punishment. He's not just saying God's going to punish you. He's saying God's going to punish you because he's promised to. He's promised if you turned your heart away from him and went after the bales of the land and provoked him to anger that this would happen. He's going to be faithful to his word. Jeremiah knows this. He's the one who's proclaiming it. And verse verse 1 is a declaration of what he absolutely knows. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 1 again. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet, (laughs) I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? You know, you plant them, they take root, they grow and produce and so on, but their mouths say one thing, their hearts are far from you. Isn't that amazing, friends? Um, you, you see that uh, he, he speaks in uh, broad general, generalizations too. He, he doesn't just say, um, he doesn't just say uh, I've observed a lot of wicked behavior around here and I wish you'd do something. But look what he says in the, second part, the last part of verse one. Why do all who are treacherous thrive? I mean, he's speaking in these big terms. You know, the, the quickest way to lose an argument is say always or never. You never meet my needs. Oh, really? I never meet your needs? You know, you lost. Because that's a lie. And it, it sets you up. So don't say always and never. What he's doing is he's going, Lord, hey, all the treacherous thrive. You see all the, all the wicked people are doing awesome. Well, that's not true. So in one, in one sentence, he's saying, righteous are you, O God. You know, you're sovereign. You're controlling all these things. You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. I mean, he's, he's claiming these attributes of God. And at the same time, he's flipping around going, all the wicked people are doing awesome all the time. And so he's questioning God's righteousness. He's questioning the very things that he believes so firmly in. Is that not amazing? You know, Hitler ain't thriving right now. He did for a time, but he ain't anymore. So you got Jeremiah, this eyewitness who sees all these things and he sees God planting and uh, taking root and all that stuff. They grow, they grow and produce fruit and so on. And it says here, you are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Now that word heart, uh, if you have a King James is, uh, Ron in here, you have a weird word in there, don't you? Reigns. Uh, R-E-I-N-S. Uh, you heard the word renal. Kidney. That's the idea. It's basically saying, um, you are near in their mouth. Oh, God's our God. Blah, blah, blah. We like God. God's our, we're, we're, we're Israel. But they're far from you in their deepest part of their humanity, in the core of their, of their being. They're far from you. Uh, the moral constitution of a person. So quick application for you. Uh, being near in the mouth and far from God in the heart is is detestable to God. Why? Uh, not because God's capricious and needs attention, but but, but God is worthy. Um, do you think it would be okay if I said to Tammy, uh, blah, 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 marriage, blah, 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 wife, blah, 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 blah? No. 
She doesn't want blah, blah, blah. She wants actual relationship. And that's the, that's the point with God. He doesn't want a bunch of, hey, we're Israel. Abraham is our father. That gets real old to God. He wants hearts that desire him. So Jeremiah's complaint has its moorings in truth, right? Uh, it does. And a concern for the exclusivity of a relationship with Yahweh. He even makes a plea for his own heart, you see, in verse 3. He says, Lord, but you know me, you see me, and, and test my heart toward you. Sounds pretty good, right? But then he goes on. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the grass mourn the, will land mourn the grass wither and the evil prosper and so on and, and say he won't even see us? You see this alloyed thing going on inside Jeremiah's heart. He's the prophet of the Lord. You think if anybody would have it figured out, it would be him because he's given the revelation of God, the oracles of God, and yet there's turmoil in his heart. He's got personal hurt because people from his hometown, even his own family, wants to kill him and silence him. They don't like all this doomed and destruction talk. And then he's got this, this mixed thing where he submits to God. He sees God's righteousness. He knows God's sovereignty. He asks God to test him. And then he says, slaughter him. Now, um, you know what an imprecatory psalm is? The imprecatory psalms, they're the psalms that say stuff like that. Oh, Lord, uh, break their teeth with gravel. Well, that's pretty tough sounding, right? But the imprecatory psalms aren't like this. The imprecatory psalms are basically saying, Lord, vengeance is yours. I long for your glory and I long for your justice. Have your way. This is different. You can see by the whole setup that Jeremiah is alloyed in what he's saying, and he's saying, pull them out for slaughter, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's not good. Now, application for your life. This may sound overly simple, but friend, Christian friend, you are not alone. You are not alone. Uh, God is observing you. He's involved in your life. He cares about you. And you see that the scriptures go out of their way to record things that may be unlovely. Um, you know, everything changes in verse five because the Lord starts talking. But the Bible puts in the fact that Jeremiah is saying, God, you're righteous, you're sovereign, you can do whatever you want, but why? He says it again. Why? And then he goes on to say in verse 4, how long? How long? Why is this happening, Lord? Don't you do that? God knows that you do. God knows that you're alloyed too. God knows that you have personal baggage and struggles too that you bring to this whole thing. Now, I want to read something to you that I just, I could plagiarize it and reword it and stuff, but this is just so awesome. You know, I've got I've got books on, I've got, I think, five or six commentaries on Jeremiah, and most of them are literally this thick, three and a half inches thick, $80. I mean, they're expensive commentaries. I found this thing the most helpful, Derek Kidner, uh, and he only wrote uh, two and a half pages on this whole <laughs> section. I mean, this is his book. It's awesome. Listen to this. He says, um, this is one of the many cries of why and how long in the Old Testament to which God's answer is never philosophical as though he owed us explanations, but always pastoral. Isn't that awesome? God never goes, 
Why, God? Oh, well, since you ask, if you must know, well, blah, blah. God never, is never obligated to do that. And he never does that. Oh, why? Oh, you, are you worried? Oh, I hope you don't, I hope you don't misplace your trust and take it away from me. He doesn't do that. It's never philosophical, but it's always pastoral. And he goes on to say, this is what it looks like. When God's pastoral concerning our whys and our how longs, this is what it looks like. He rebukes us. He reorients us. He reassures us. Isn't that awesome? We have whys and how longs. He doesn't go, oh, I hope you don't, die. I hope you don't dislike me anymore. I don't dislike me. He, but he, re- he reorients us. He anchors us back in his truth. And he goes on to say this. And I don't know that I've ever made a bigger asterisk in the margin of a book before. This is the, probably my biggest asterisk of my life. Um, he says, it was wise of Jeremiah and an example worth remembering to proceed what he could not grasp with what he could not deny. He's got a turmoil in his heart. He wants to cry out, why, God, why, don't you? Why is this happening to me? But he proceeds what he can't grasp with what he knows, which is, righteous you are, O Lord. Righteous you are. You plant. You're sovereign. You're in control. You're the one who sees and tests. Is that an awesome piece of advice, ladies and gentlemen? A great application for your life? Yeah, you're going to cry out why and how long. Do it the right way. Cry out why and how long and state the things that you do know to be conclusive. Uh, state the things that, that cannot be denied. Um, when, when you uh, suffer and question, always go to what's conclusive about God and, and let everything fall in place below that. And by the way, same thing goes with the scriptures. Well, it appears to uh, teach uh, such and such here. Does that contradict with anything else? Go to what's conclusive, like I, the Lord, do not change. Well, it seems here that God has changed his mind, but I am not like a man that I should change my mind. Well, it seems like God changes mind. I am not like a man that I should change my mind. That's conclusive. Start there. Good advice for Christian living and biblical interpretation. All right, next point. Um, who's rejecting who? Go to verse 5. You notice that there's a publisher's note above verse 5 in most of your Bibles. That's not inspired scripture, but it is helpful. The Lord answers Jeremiah. One of the reasons it's so helpful here is uh, the book of Jeremiah moves in, in its, its uh, narrative from boom to boom. I mean, the voices uh, are, are suddenly changing and going back and forth, and sometimes it's hard to keep up with it. But what's happening here is um, Jeremiah has addressed God, and now God is answering. The Lord answers uh, Jeremiah. Look at verse 5. God says, well, tell you what, Jeremiah, I hear you. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They're in full cry after you. Don't believe them and don't believe when they speak friendly to you. He's going, God says, okay, I hear your complaint, but let me tell you something. You know, you want to hear my commentary on that, ladies and gentlemen? God's basically saying, I hear you. It's going to get worse. I know you have a complaint. Just wait. I mean, if it's hard to run with men on foot, how are you going to compete with horses? It's going to get worse, weeping prophet. It's going to get harder. 
And so God comforts, but he comforts not in the superficial way uh, that we might like. He comforts with the news that there's harder stuff coming. Now, how could that possibly be interpreted as comforting, that harder stuff is coming? Well, continue on in verse 7. This is... God says, I have forsaken my house, Jeremiah. I've abandoned my heritage. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about Israel's already gone. Judah's next. Jerusalem's going to fall. He says, I've given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. It's going to happen. I've already turned them over to judgment. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. Want to stay away from a roaring lion who wants to bring destruction against my word, right? She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Now, those are surprising words, aren't they? I remember a staff meeting about three or four years ago. And uh, I, remember, I remember Jeff Sample was still here. And I remember that because he broke the silence. Our staff was having a discussion, and we came to this idea uh, about God hating That's not a not biblical idea. It's right there. I hate her. And uh, our staff, we were talking about it, and that word came up. And I've I've never been in an experience like that before. I don't don't know if you were there or not, Kim. A hush fell over the room. And I mean, it was a, a minute long, a minute. Just We were all just stunned pondering this thing. We were going, gosh, if God... If sin is such a big deal to God, what, what is this thing called grace? And I remember uh, Sample broke the silence. He, he said, finally, he said, that is a profound and terrible truth. But it also shines light on grace. Now, I wonder if you can feel that. That if God really is burning in absolute unadulterated purity, And if God really is burning in uncategorized, absolute disdain for anything that's got guilt and shame, then it has to be dealt with violently. When I say violently, I mean thoroughly. Uh, If you want, if you suspect cancer, you want it thoroughly diagnosed, don't you? You don't want to, when it could be this, well, you want it thoroughly diagnosed and thoroughly dealt with. That's how God hates things in the dominion of sin. He hates things in the sense that he will not accept. That's what it means. It doesn't mean like when you, when, if we hate, there's, there's sin associated with hate. When God hates, it is the idea that he will not tolerate, he will not receive, and he'll do it with the full force of his excellencies. His attributes, his very self will not be compromised. That's how razor sharp the line is. Now, it's hopeful in this. Look at verse 9. He says, uh, is my heritage me like a hyena's lair, the birds of prey against all her, her all around? Go assemble the wild beasts and so on. He's saying, he's saying look, uh, my people are against me, and uh, guess what? The enemy's against me too. My people are against me, the enemy's against me. He goes on to say in verse 10, and now he's talking about the surrounding people. He's not talking about Israel anymore. God in verse 10 says, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They've trampled down my portion, the portion being Israel. 
Uh, God's people is his portion, says the scriptures. They made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They made it a desolation, desolate, desolate, desolate. Uh, destroyers have come and so on. Uh, they shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord at the, at the end of verse 13. And so the reason it's helpful is God is saying to Jeremiah, hey, listen, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's going to get tougher. My people have uh, pulled away from me and I will not receive them as I promised. And the bad guys who have been this bad influence on my people, my people have gone over their gods. Um, they ain't going to make it. I'm going to judge my, I'm going to judge the enemy. I'm going to judge the instruments of destruction against my own people. It's just stunning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, God's not happy with his people. He's going to use the enemy as an instrument of destruction, but he's not happy with them either. <laughs> now, an application for your life is this. All of it has to be viewed in the context of the whole gospel. You know why? Because this whole book has to be viewed in the context of the whole gospel. This whole book, cover to cover, is about the gospel. It's not Mm, lovely moral tales on this side and grace on this side. It's not meanie God over here and nice God over here. The whole thing is the story of the gospel. And so when we read as Christians that God works all things together for good to them who love him and are the called according to his purpose, on this side of the cross, that's very comforting. But all through the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, God never forgets his purpose. And he has not forgotten his purpose here. He is working all things together for good because it's in a gospel context. The whole story has a trajectory, and all throughout the scriptures, there's always believers and non-believers, and God will not leave his plan without a remnant. Jesus Christ will come. He must come. He must come through these people, and God, even though he is judging them, he's doing it unto restoration. That's the way God works. Okay, our last Look here, it's uh, grace in astonishing places. Once again, Jeremiah uh, switches gears so fast that it's easy to miss what's happening. Suddenly, in verse 14, God starts saying this strange, gracious stuff. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I've given my people Israel to inherit. So he's saying, hey, Israel, I'm judging you. I'm going to use these enemies to bring about destruction, but I'm going to judge those enemies. Now he starts talking graciously about the enemies. <laughs> this gracious God. I mean, you, it, it seems so harsh. It seems so tough. And then in the middle of it, there's grace dripping down it. He says, um, behold, halfway through verse 14, I will pluck up the bad guys from their land and I'll pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I've plucked them all up, I'll have compassion on Judah. I'll bring them each again to his own heritage and each to his land, both of them. And it shall come to pass, if they'll diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as the bad guys taught my people to be idolaters, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. If not, I'll destroy them. But God says, I'm open and I'll receive and even the instruments of destruction who are destined to be judged, you can come on into. Is that not unbelievable? In the midst of all this hard word, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this, ladies and gentlemen. If you would turn to Revelation chapter 6.
This is a, a word Jeremiah would have loved to have heard and has now heard. <laughs> um, Revelation 6, verse 10. And hey, while you find that, I'll give you a little insight. Uh, I've already written next week's offertory. Luisa Schrode is going to sing it, little Luisa. And uh, it's, it's about several how long passages. How long, God? How long? How long? It's already, it's already in the can. It's going to happen next week. But the, the third verse is taken right from Revelation 6. So when you hear it next week, you're going to be able to go, oh, I'm an insider. Revelation 6, verse 10. Listen to this. I look at verse 9. When uh, the Lamb, that's Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. The slain cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Is that unbelievable? I, I have been moved and I've turned to that so many times and meditated on it. I am so moved by that. Those who have been slain proclaiming the word of God, those who have taken the shots and have served in the kingdom and their course is done and God calls them home and plop, they're out. They say, how long? How long, God, before you set everything right? I mean, everything's happening in the world here. It's, it's kind of like uh, Jeremiah's idea. You know, uh, Lord, I, I know you're good. I know you're righteous, but I, I'd, I'd just like to ask you, how long? How much longer? And God's answer to the slain is, rest a little while longer because there are more people who need to be killed as they proclaim this word of grace. Is that not stunning? Friends, rejection of God by his enemies is expected. What isn't expected is that God turns enemies into his friends. Those whom he has must wait a little longer when you cry out why and how long, which you will do if you haven't already, you will. Why is this happening to me, God? Why am I going through this? Why is sin allowed to prevail? Why is my body failing? Why is there hurt? Why is there unrest? Why is there war? Why is there relational disconnect? How long, God? How long before the Savior sets all things right? Just rest a little while longer and trust the sovereign one who is holy and true. Father, we read of hard things and hard things about humanity and hard things about sin and hard things about you, hard things about salvation and we realize they're hard to us because we don't understand sin very much and we don't understand what you're like. We don't understand what purity is. We, 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 think, it's, we think it's one thing and it's, 
God at source and in, in you. We just pray, Lord, that you will teach our hearts to rest a little longer and teach our hearts to cling to the true things that are conclusive about you. Might uh, we cite those and uh, in our tears and in our cries, God, might uh, they fall underneath blessed realities that are full of gospel hope. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.